All right, let's jump in. So um, when it's easy when you look around at the world and you just you see all the different things that are wrong in the world, the pain, the brokenness, the confusion. If you watch the news, you definitely know what I'm talking about because they have no shortage of bad news every day. Um, and then some of you may be going through some difficult times right now. You may be experiencing some pain, emotional or physical. And so you know what I'm talking about. And, and during these times, it can feel hopeless. It can feel kind of like winter, which is darker. The days are shorter. It's cold. Is anybody ready for spring? I think, I think yesterday was the, the last uh, effort of winter. But, um, you know, it's, it's like winter when it's, it's just dark. You can't see. But, but the truth is, spring always comes. Spring is always something we can look forward to. And I love how it's built in. This hope is built into the creation. Look at the flowers that are blooming. I love the cherry blossoms everywhere you look. The azaleas are popping. They're so beautiful. And it reminds us, even on a cold day like yesterday, that spring is coming, new life is coming. What these trees or bushes that look dead are being born to life. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and this is a, a true metaphor for our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done. You know, this isn't just positive thinking. This isn't just kind of hopeful ideas, but it's built on a fact. It's built on the man, Jesus Christ, his life, his death that took place in history, and then the miracle we believe of, of him rising from the dead. And because of that, we have real hope for this life, but we also have real hope, eternal hope, for when this life ends. And it's a beautiful thing because nothing in this world gives you that hope. And so that's what we're looking at today. And, and so we're going to look at the, the resurrection story in John. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18. And it's just good to read the story. It's good to hear the story spoken. Even though you may have heard it a hundred times, when you hear the reminder of what Jesus did, and you hear the truth of what happened, God speaks to our hearts and our minds and our spirits. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a moment to focus in on the resurrection story. But before we do that, I want to set it up so we have the context and really understand the situation that was taking place. So earlier we talked about the communion meal where Jesus gathered up his followers, his closest disciples, and he, and he, he, he had the Passover meal with them, but he also encouraged them. He taught them. He told them what would happen to him. And then they left that meal and they go to the garden. He said, guys, can you please just pray for me? Just pray for me. I'm in a really difficult moment here. He knew what was about to happen. They fell asleep, good friends. And then the, then the, the Roman soldiers and Judas show up who had betrayed him and they arrest Jesus. Then they go to the high priest, Caiaphas. And, and they, they put him on trial and they declare him guilty. Then they take him to the Roman authorities and he, he stood before Pilate. And I love that interaction. Pilate was the most powerful man in the land other than Caesar in this territory. And Jesus lets him know. He shook Pilate too, if you read the story. 
Pilate did not want to crucify him, but Jesus let him know who he was. And he said, if I didn't want to do this, I would have all my angels come and rescue me. And it messed with, with Pilate. But then Pilate, because of the pressure of the crowd and his allegiance to Rome, he had to go through with it. He, he had him beaten like a prisoner, dressed up like a king. And then he made Jesus walk to his own death with the cross and they crucified him like a criminal. So the disciples were, had all this momentum. They had gotten to know Jesus. They had become friends with him. He had been teaching them about the kingdom of God and about him being king and what he was about to do, establish his kingdom. And then all of a sudden he's arrested and put on a cross. And then they're left on Saturday with confusion and shock. And they're like, what happened? All this momentum going into, into Jerusalem to set up shop came to a halt. And they didn't know what the heck happened. And so all they did was they, go, they went back in, into a room together and were trying to figure it out. They were sad. They, didn't, they had ho no hope. And then we pick up on the story of the resurrection day on Sunday. Ver verse 1 says, it was early in the morning on Sunday. And we'll pick it up and we'll read it. And it says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so then she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put it. So now they're like, what is going on here? So then Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Let, just pause with me. <laughs> this is so funny to me. This is like such a serious, crucial moment. And we have this note here. So John wrote this, this testimony, wrote this letter, this gospel. And, you know, I've always heard, you know, he, he, he names the fact or he points out the fact that he is the disciple that Jesus loved. Like out of all 12 disciples, he's writing this book. He needs to let us know. He says it over and over. Oh, and by the way, the disciple that Jesus loved. But then I never picked up on this. I mean, he's making his point. The two disciples, Peter and the one that Jesus loved, were running for the tomb. And just so you know, the one who Jesus loved won the race. He got there first. He says this twice. What is going on here? I thought that was so funny. Let's just get back on track here. But that's in the scriptures. So then Peter arrived and went inside first. He also noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For until they still hadn't understood, until that moment, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. It was at this moment they started, it started to click. Oh yeah, Jesus said I would tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus said, literally, I would die and raise again. And all the Old Testament prophets talk about this, but it didn't make sense. So they didn't believe it until this moment. Okay, see what's going on, but they still weren't super sure. They still weren't confident. So they went home back to where they were. And then verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and she wept and stooped and, and looked in. She saw two white-robed white angels 
one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said, dear woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. He said, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She said, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, that I will go and get him. I love this moment. Jesus says, Mary. He calls her by name. And then at that moment, she recognized it was Jesus, and she cried out, Rabbane, which means teacher or rabbi in Hebrew. Don't cling to me, he said. I haven't ascended to the Father yet, but go and tell the brothers, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them this message. I love this story of resurrection and how Jesus presents himself. What's cool about this, if you keep reading in John 20, then he goes and he visits the disciples in this place. He kind of ghost-like goes to the door and appears and he, he presents himself. Then he leaves. Then a couple days later, he comes back, presents himself and talks with the, the doubting disciple Thomas. And then in, the, in other books of the New Testament, it talks about how he he had visited and, and showed himself at one point to over 500 people. And so he kept showing himself, and eventually he meets them and teaches them and tells them what's going on and tells them what to do and gives them their mission. But the, the point of this is that Jesus is risen. And the disciples at first, they, they, on Saturday and Sunday morning early, the situation appeared hopeless. They did not remember his teaching. But they didn't, they had forgotten that Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming, that spring was coming, new life was coming, resurrection was coming. How easy is us forget to get bogged down in the moments of our despair and forget about the hope and the truth that is coming our way. And it's rooted and built on the fact of an event in history that happened. We know everybody agrees, unless somebody is really stubborn, that Jesus lived. History books talk about it. Everyone knows that the real man, Jesus, was put on the cross. But what is necessary and what is matters is what happened to him. What, where did he go out of that tomb? The tomb was empty. And what you believe about that determines so much for you. Do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead as the scriptures attest and all the eyewitnesses attest? Or do you believe that something else happened? But what you believe about that determines your future and your present. Determines everything. What you believe about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So today I want to talk about what that means. Why it is good news. You've heard that over and over. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That literally means the good news of Jesus Christ. Why is his death and his resurrection such good news? And I pray that if you're a believer today and you've heard this message over and over, I pray that it hits you in a new way and inspires you. Because I believe many Christians are missing out on the gospel message. And so the gospel, if you look at it, if you look at the, the shape of it, it's a gospel message of death and resurrection. It has an arc to it. Death 
and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Jesus died and was risen from the grave. And so his death is so important. A lot of times I used to think, why why did he have to die? Why couldn't God just say it's forgiven and make his people right? He's done so many miracles. Why did someone have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? But this, Jesus had to die so that we could have forgiveness. By his death on the cross, the Bible says that we are forgiven of our sins and we are reconciled back into a relationship with him. We are brought back into a right relationship with him. Read the scripture and then we'll talk about it. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. I love this. In Genesis, if you go back to the beginning, that's what Genesis means, the book of beginnings. Tells of the creation story and it tells how Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. They were given work to do. They were in a beautiful relationship with themselves and also with God. They were in harmony with the creation. You know, when, when, when Adam worked with in the garden, it worked with him, not against him. And so then sin entered the world and part of the curse was to Adam and Eve. They were separated from, from God. They were separated from God. But also what was cursed was the ground was cursed. The creation was cursed. That's why we have weeds. That's why we have mosquitoes. I do not think they're in the, the way they were designed to be. But the curse was grand. But I love this verse because it says Jesus' death on the cross is making all things right. He's reconciling. He's bringing peace with everything on heaven and on earth, which includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You were enemies by your evil thoughts and actions. And we need to talk about this here because God's posture is this, is an arm reached out to his people and he wants to save us. But we are enemies. And if you're a believer, you once were an enemy before you knew Christ. This is why when people, when we talk about these things, which doesn't happen that often, People like to say, you know, I'm just, Jesus is cool. You do you, I'll do me. It's all good. And the truth is, it's not all good. If you're not in Christ, you're considered an enemy of God. Because everything is so casual now. Nobody wants to be offensive. Nobody wants to step on each other's toes to the point where we don't even say what we believe anymore because we don't want to be canceled. And so, but it's so true and you need to know, you need to know and the world needs to know that if you're not right with Christ, there's no system of religion out there. There's no human plan out there that can make you right with Christ. Jesus said he is the only way. And if you look at all the great teachers in the world, he's the only one that claimed to be God and he's the only one that claimed to have it figured out. He's exclusive. And so the reason you're an enemy is not because God is set against us as an enemy. He's set against us as a savior. But we, our thoughts and actions, our posture towards God is one of an enemy. We have set ourselves against him. That's what that means. And so then I love it. It says, but now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ, the physical body. As a result, he has been brought 
He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Couple things here. Jesus had to die. No, but nothing else will do because our sin, the wages of sin equals death. Someone has to die for that. And God can't just say it's all good because he's holy and righteous and he'd be going against his very nature and his character if he just said it's all good. Someone had to die. It'd be like one of these trials that we're watching where there was an injustice and the evidence is mounted, and it's clear that the man on trial is guilty, and the judge just go, it's all good. What would the family and what would all the people watching, they would scream injustice, and they would go into the streets because it was a great injustice. Unless someone stepped in there and took the place of the one who is guilty and paid the penalty of the crime. Jesus or God cannot go against his own character. Someone has to die. It's the way things are created. And Jesus was that someone. And because of his death, and here's, get this, because of his life and his death, his death gives us forgiveness. His death, the scripture says, brings us back into a right relationship with him. But his life, his perfect life, the fact that he came and lived on this earth is so important. Because a death makes you clear with God and in a right relationship, but then your very next move is most likely sin at some point. And then you'd be back to where you started. And so we need his righteousness. His righteousness, his very life that he lived perfectly is not just given to us, it's a big word, imputed to us, which it means we're counted as righteous because he was righteous. Do you hear that? Because Jesus lived perfectly, it's counted to us as though we lived perfectly. That's why the scripture can say God sees you in Christ as perfect and holy and blameless when you're in Christ. There's nothing you can do to earn that. So legally, you're, you're blameless and holy in his eyes, but it's also he sees the finished product of who you are becoming in Christ. There's so much goodness here, but that's why we need his life and death because mainly forgiveness, reconciliation to God, and righteousness. And then the good part is resurrection. By Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we can experience new and eternal life. And, and, and this is for the Christians right here. We can experience new and eternal life. Many of us have the first part, amen. Yes, I'm forgiven. Yes, I'm going to heaven one day. Yes, I'm secure. And I've got lots of confidence that. But we're living our own lives. We're living in our old way of life. And we wonder why we're not experiencing what Jesus promised, real and eternal life. He came to not only give us forgiveness through his death, but he came to give us real and eternal life through his resurrection. The scriptures put it this way. Have you forgotten, this is Romans 6, that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you also joined in his death. You identified with his death. For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And Jesus, as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father. Now we also live new lives. We've been saved to live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised with him in his life. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin, to the power of sin, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You should consider yourselves in Christ to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. But now we have to walk in that aliveness. 
And if we're not walking in it, we don't get to experience it. Jesus died so that we can truly live. I love how these really smart theologians put it. They said, all that matters in your life is this day and that day. This day and that day. That day is taken care of by his death and resurrection because you're forgiven, you're reconciled, and you can be brought into his kingdom forever and ever and ever. But you can actually have hope on this day and live fully this day because of his resurrection. This day you can live and that day you will live. All because of his resurrection. His resurrection conquered death so that when you die, your life is over. You will continue on. And there's hope in that. This is not the end for those who know Christ. There's so much good news wrapped up in the good news. It's, we don't have time. But what I want to get across to you today is if you don't know Jesus and you're not confident about your relationship with him and your forgiveness, you need to receive his life, death, and resurrection. But I want to get this message to you. If you've heard it a hundred times, if you're a believer, don't miss out on the true life of Jesus. So how do we experience this good news like I said before, the, the shape is dying and rising of the gospel. So you must die to yourself so that you can live. The biblical word is repent and obey. You must die to yourself so that you can live. There's a clear starting point here, which Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and King, and if you believe in your heart that's faith, that he was raised from the dead. You decided that that empty tomb was him raised from the dead. He did what he said he was going to do. You're believing the eyewitness accounts. You believe he was raised from the dead. It says you will be saved by believing and confessing. There's power in that. You will be saved. You will be forgiven and you will be reconciled. Something supernatural that we cannot see takes place in heaven. And in your heart at that moment, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus tells us to get baptized. Baptized, everybody can see you go under the water, you feel the water, you take a deep breath, hopefully beforehand, then you come out and you breathe. Because it's an it's a, it's a acting out of what has taken place in heaven. It's a beautiful image. But there's a clear starting point to experiencing the, the real and eternal life of Jesus. It's believing that Jesus has risen from the grave and confessing that he is Lord. And at that moment, you are saved. And there's no other way. There's no other way. Do not believe the false advertisements of all these other ways that lead to dead ends. Don't bank your eternity on nonsense. And I don't say that lightly because if you really look and study and watch and follow those ways, you will see that it cannot hold up what it's selling. Only Jesus can do that. But then to, to move on to how do you experience this real and eternal life daily? Because that's where the living takes place today and that day. How do you experience a day? You have to die to yourself so that you can live. It's an ongoing process of dying to yourself. It's a, this is the theme of the New Testament. Paul talks about the biblical languages. You must crucify yourself in Christ. That's harsh. You must die. Your old person has to die. Your old habits have to die so that you can live. 
I think people think that's a bad thing because they heard growing up, you got to die, you got to put off, you got to stop doing this. But the point was so that you could live. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's going to hurt a little bit because you got to die. It hurts to put away your normal ways, your old ways. But when you get started living, it's worth it. And so here's a couple ways that it looks or can look in your life. If you want more love in your relationships, think about your closest relationship. Think about your marriage if you're married. Think about your best friend. Think about your roommates. If you want to experience this love that Jesus advertises in this relationship, you have to die to yourself, your selfishness. You have to give up your demanding your rights and being right. You have to give up demanding your rights and being right. If you want to experience more love because love is sacrificial in nature. Love is sacrificial in nature. So you have to die to yourself to experience more of the love. If you want more joy in your life, this is a deep one, but just hold on here. If you want more joy in your life, you have to die to yourself. You have to give up idolatry. Here's what that means in plain language. You have to give up trying to find your happiness in the world. You have to give up trying to find your satisfaction and deep joy in the world. I'm, a, I'm all about living. We're going to die and go to heaven. It's going to be great. But I want to live well here. That's not a life absent of pain, but here's what we do wrong. We don't understand the world is meant for two main things. God told us this. The things in the world, all the good things, a good glass of wine, good meal, relationship and friendship, a good show, exercise, golf, surfing, biking, whatever it may be. All those things are meant for two purposes, to use to do good for another or to simply enjoy and give thanks to God. That's how you glorify God. Everything in the world is meant, this is back in Genesis, to do good in the world, to build something, to make good, or to enjoy and give glory to God, give him praise for that thing you were enjoying. When you taste that well-cooked, not well-done, well-cooked steak, rare, it's juicy, it's flavorful, praise God. God for the stake. That's what the world's for. But if you want to experience true joy, you have to die to yourself, give up trying to find your happiness in a stake. Learn to use it for good. Learn to enjoy it in its proper place. But you have to die to idolatry, making something good and turning it into a God. Just a simple thing. If you want to experience more peace, does anybody want to experience more peace? This is the good news of the gospel. This works in real life. That's my life message. If I can convince you that Jesus is better than anything you could ever create on your own. And we have so much money. We have so much resources. We have so many stinking Pinterest things, Instagrams that have such visions of the good life. But I'm telling you, Jesus is better than anything that you can create on your own. Do you want real peace? Real peace of mind when you lay down at night and you can, you can say, you know what? I can go to sleep tonight because I don't have to control all this. If you want real peace, you have to die to yourself, die to your old way of worrying about everything. Worrying, turning everything over your mind as though you're in control. Stop trying to control every circumstance and every person around you. If you want peace, you have to give up worry and control because worry and control is in the way of your peace.
This is where the gospel gets real. Yes, you need forgiveness. Yes, you need reconciliation. Yes, you need his righteousness applied to you. But if you, and if you don't have that, you have nothing. But you will never experience the good life, the real and eternal life until you learn the pattern of daily dying to yourself. One more, if you want to be more patient, patient in life, this is a fruit of the Spirit. You have to die. You have to give up being in a hurry. When you're rushing, when you're late, you start hurrying more, and then it's close brother. Irritability comes, impatience and irritability. They work together. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's dragging their feet. They're taking 20 minutes to put on a jacket. And you're like, then you start getting in a hurry. Then you start yelling at them and sinning against them to tell them, get out the door. We're going to be late for church. If you want to experience patience, you have to give up being in a hurry. If you want to experience unity among people, you have to give up competition with them. The gospel is the way to true and real life. Jesus died so you could be forgiven and reconciled in a right relationship with him. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Have you ever accepted Jesus as your savior, accepted his work on the cross? If you have not, I encourage you to do that. It is the starting point to truly living. I believe every person is designed to know God. You were created for worship. And when you are outside of that relationship, nothing in your, your, your world will be right. Because you will look everywhere to try to feel that desire that cannot happen other through a proper relationship with your maker. Jesus was raised from the dead so that you can experience real internal life today and forever. If you're a Christian and you feel like you're not experiencing that, I'm not talking about a perfect life. Jesus promised pain. He said, you will have trouble in this world, but don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. You can have joy regardless of your circumstances when you know Jesus. But if you're not experiencing life to the full in a real way, ask you a question, what do you need to die to today? What is in your, your way of experiencing the truth and the eternal life today? What do you need to die to? There should be an answer to that question. I can think of five things. I was not doing this earlier this week with Lindsay. We had a great fight, great argument. We both thought we were right. And that was in the way of our unity and joy of real and eternal life. It was hell. And so now we've been reconciled. There's been forgiveness and we're loving each other. What is it for you that you need to die to yourself? Is it being right? Is it demanding your rights? Is it hurry? Is it worry? Is it control? What is it that is in the way of you experiencing real and eternal life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel message. Thank you for living the gospel. Thank you for coming here, laying aside your rights and your privilege as being God so that you can be human, live a perfect life, fulfill your law, and die a death so that we can be forgiven. Thank you that God rose you from the dead so that to overcome physical death and spiritual death, God, so we could truly live today and forever. I pray that if anyone does not know you today, that you would draw them to yourself and they would believe. 
God, I pray for those who are Christians today and want more of you, would enter into discipleship with you. God, shine the light on their life. Where do they need to give up control so they can experience more of your life and experience the unforced rhythms of grace in the day-to-day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.